I'd like to oh, thank man, everybody for weird. coming out today on Valentine's Day, no less. Coming out to hear us interview old Lazarus Harp, who's been around for a few years now as a folk collective. We're going to talk a little bit more about who they are and what they're up to. And first, we're going to have them play a couple songs for you. Thanks for being here, guys.
need that. So <laughs> we're here with old Lazarus Harp, and why don't you guys just talk a little bit about who you are, when you started up, what the kind of basic guiding philosophy is of your organization. Sure. I'm uh, Dan McDonald. My stage name is Spitzer Space Telescope. I'm one of the um, individual acts of the collective. To my right is... Emily Knott. And to my right... <laughs> You don't say anything about yourself. There's so much to say. Oh, you want me to say it? I'll say it. Um, I'm Marie Valindo, and I play uh, with both of these guys separately together. Um, with Dan, we have a group called Spitzer and Reva. We do a lot of traditional um, British ballads and sea shanties. And how did, uh, how did you guys first start playing together? So Old Lazarus Harp, the history of it... Um, I guess it sort of has a proto-history in my college years in Boston when I was part of the Mama Bird mu uh, Folk Music Collective. That was myself and a bunch of folk singers that were going to Boston University at the time. This would have been in, uh, we probably started that collective in 2007 or so, and I had never even, I didn't know what a collective was. Um, but over the course of my college years, I learned what kind of a... Uh, um, what kind of a team a collective can be and how a lot of separate acts can pool resources together to kind of lift each other up at once. So that Mama Bird turned into a record label and sort of became its own thing as everybody graduated. So fast forward to 2012 when I arrived in Chicago to work on my solo album, I was collecting, or I was kind of meeting a lot of the young folk singers and players here in Chicago, and after I met a group called Can I Get an Amen, who had been established here for a long time and had a lot of followers, and a couple other um, kind of loose players that weren't involved with any particular uh, group, um, we decided, or I had pitched the idea to Evan of Can I Get an Amen to form a collective so that we could do more high-profile stuff. I suppose one of the big motivations for doing something like that would be that this music is not commercially popular. Not a lot of kids our age know what it is or where to find it. So you kind of have to, out of survival, you know, team up to raise, raise your profile. So it, it's only helped all of us to have you know, all these separate bands come together and unite and work together. Um, but as you know, it's blossomed into something much more than just uh, a sum of, you know, its individual parts. How many people are part of the collective? I think it's still growing. Every day somebody comes into town. Here's the thing. The, uh -huh. fir the first thing to know about it is it's not a professional organization and it's not a band. So it has, um, it has core members that have been in the collective for a long time and helped really get it on its hind legs but it's not limited to or defined to um, working musicians or anything. It's really just anybody who wants to come party with us. It's also not an age thing. I know we often put the angle on ourselves of being the young, vigorous, lively um, group of folk singers here in Chicago, but it's, it's for everybody. We have, you know, people also from... Also for the non-vigorous. Yeah, you know, it's for it's really for anybody who's enthusiastic. It's really about the enthusiasm for the music. That's all we care anything about. I would uh -huh. make one uh, comment to add to what Dan said about it not being necessarily a group or a, uh, one band or anything, um, and the nature of 
coming together is uh, the nature of coming together is always around events that have kind of always been the reason why this music happens across time, which are like dances and kind of communal events where a lot of different types of things are happening. Like there's music to dance to, there's people dancing, and there's people dancing together and solo. And so we get together, whether in public or whether at people's houses and have dances and uh, also jams. I would say like dances and jams are kind of like the lifeblood of, you know, what we do and how and why we come together. Um, so it's, yeah, it can happen whether or not there's an audience there, you know? Um, how, how much of that is sort of conscious, you know, you, you describe it as sort of being the way people have done it for a long time. You know, how much is that is just that you guys were hanging out and doing it? Or was there a conscious effort to be like, hey, let's not just do a thing where we prepare a song, get up on a stage, get off the stage. Was there a, a conscious effort to make it, you know, connected to its more social roots or is that just something that happened organically? There's a very specific answer to that and that is that what I learned from the Mama Bird Collective was how to organize and strategically plan um, events and kind of plan out um, a trajectory for um, succeeding or having this thing, you know, do something. Um, old Lazarus Harp, to answer that question, was me bringing that to the table and then meeting the Can I Get an Amen guys who were the opposite. They only knew about, um, you know, more low-key, small, intimate, invite-only kind of informal gatherings. Mm -hmm. So when those two came together, we learned a balance about keeping the more community, open invitation kind of event stuff, mm -hmm. and, <coughs> excuse me, sitting down and coordinating and planning higher profile stuff. So it's, it's really both. It's exactly right in the middle of both of them. So are you the planner, or are there, are there different planners? Or? There, me and Mareva have uh -huh. taken the role of the kind of main planners. Our friend T-Claw just come to town. He just put together a square dance for a benefit for wounded vets. Anybody can, even, even a guy, one of these loose players that we talked about, he's not actually in a band named Brendan Brown, who came out of the shadows over Christmas uh -huh. and just organized our Christmas compilation CD. That's, that's only that's been a good CD. Thank you very much. <laughs> that is that was a big deal to me to see that, and I never got to say that to the group because when Brenda did that, it really meant to everybody like this. This collective is for anybody to pitch an idea, and you just you have our support. Mm -hmm. Whatever you want to, you just tell us what you want to do. We'll we'll help you. We'll do it. Let's make a CD. Let's do it. So for a long time, it was me and Mareva and maybe a couple other people thinking about the events and tediously planning them out. And it almost felt like there was an inner circle. But I think when Brendan did that, when T. Claude did his event, it's starting to um, grow into this culture of, you know, as if long as you're motivated, you know, we're on board. We'll do it. That's kind of part of what this collective is about too or at least it's evolving into that luckily yeah a lot of possibilities just arise from getting together on a weekly or more than weekly basis and just kind of playing together and talking about what we want to do and um starting to do those things <laughs> well how about we get a little bit more of that playing and i'll come back and we'll talk a little more sure Wow. 
wondrous love is this oh my soul oh my soul what wondrous love is this oh my soul what wondrous love is this that caused the lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul for my soul to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. As I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down. As I was sinking down, sinking down. As I was sinking down, beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To to the Lamb, who is the great I am. While millions join the theme, I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul, oh my soul. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul? To bear the dreadful curse for my soul. Well, I think after hearing that, it'd be silly of me not to ask what, where you found that song, what it's about, what do you know sure. about that one? Yeah, that, is, that comes from the sacred harp uh, tradition, which is uh, it, one of many sort of, uh, let's see, what's the overarching term for that? The sacred harp, and then, Dan, what's the, Emily? There's another term that people use for shape note singing, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of singing traditions um, uh, that that kind of are interconnected with uh, with that. Oh man, what should I say about that? <laughs> I guess I got that one. Uh, Dan and I sing that one together. I definitely got that from. Uh, I think Young Young Tradition is an uh, English band that we heard do a version of that um, that Dan and I admire a lot. But that's really common in the shape note world. Um, which it's a really old style of uh, American religious uh, Christian sort of singing, but that has connections to uh, older styles of singing, um, perhaps uh, with roots in Scottish uh, tradition. Um, so that, that's, that's a style of singing where if you, if you went into a church doing that, there might not be a lot of 
standard harmonies or everyone might not be singing um, in the really arranged way that we did or, or they might they might be following um, four distinct parts which you can read along in uh, the shape notes um, in the shape notebooks with the, which they have so in a brief way of <laughs> talking about that tradition um, is, is that I yeah. mean I, I see stuff about you know, I know. I think I think in Chicago there's some like you know groups that get together do shape note singing. Is that something that's does it still exist organically? Like, are there still churches that are doing it, or people more in Chicago? About, not in Chicago, but just even in the U.S. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's still a living tradition here. Mm-hmm. Definitely more in the like I know in Kentucky, like uh-huh. that's a common tradition in very specific regions. I think our friend Jeremy's from Virginia. He might have encountered that there as well, um, and he has led us in some some nice things, um, and uh, that's definitely still organic and happening uh, in religious traditions mm-hmm. in the U.S. for sure, as well as uh, in the British Isles. That the arrangement we did is probably a little more like uh, arranged for singing, slightly different than what you might hear mm-hmm. <laughs> from the shape note book, but yeah, and a little bit more of a beat. Um, it's kind of shanty like. <laughs> is there is there something that you guys well you, just now when you said well it's a little more beat a little more shanty like is there a certain kind of default that maybe when you get a song you put it into a certain type of mode is there a certain sound or not really uh, one of the eclectic? things I love about the old Lazarus Harp Collective is that uh, there's so many different music musicians uh-huh. and musical perspectives coming to the table so there's you know great old-time fiddlers but there's Cajun music there's gospel singers I sing mostly traditional Appalachian ballads there's a lot of different styles and approaches and so while you're all able to experience that together you're learning from one another and you're learning kind of these these different styles that are connected through kind of tradition and history yeah I wouldn't say there's like one you know mm-hmm. default mode that one is just well, we do like different. to stomp. We do like to stomp. That's true. That's, that's a bit of a signature. What about um, as far as, let's say, with the Appalachian ballads, are, are there certain... So are you, you tend to go back to old, you know, old recordings or field recordings, or do you look towards more stuff that kind of just comes your way? That's with a playing great with people, what? How? How are you getting your? So music? I definitely learn from recording sometimes, but my yeah. favorite way to learn ballads is from people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I heard my first ballad when I was 11. I went to the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and I heard that from Sheila K. Adams, and then fell in love and started learning ballads, and then I got to study um, with. Uh, Michael and Carrie Klein in West Virginia. And so when you learn ballads from people and you you hear the story behind it and you hear what it means to them or mm-hmm. any of the songs that we sing as a collective or the tunes that we play, it's really wonderful to learn it from someone mm-hmm. and have that memory and, and hear what that song or that tune means to them. You know? It's kind of what our jams serve as, you know. We'll mm-hmm. learn tunes maybe from someone else or from a recording and then learn it from each other. It's both for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, what would... What, what, were like some of the, I guess Dan could speak to this, but you guys could chime in. What were some of the early jams like? And then, and then like? we could talk more about what they're like now. Yeah, I mean, just was, was there, what made you realize, oh, hey, this is, I want to be around these people more. I want to do things together. I mean, rather than, well, you know, just going um, separate ways. Yeah, the early jams. Okay. I, in, uh, let's see, at the time I was probably 25 or 26 when I moved here. And in uh, two and a half decades, I had never in my life been to a good party. 
<laughs> I've been to a couple, and they all suck. Every party I've ever been to. This is the truth. You can fact check this gunner. Every party I've ever been to sucks. Until I moved to Chicago, and I started to go to the old Lazarus Harp parties. This is before it was even called old Lazarus Harp. And uh, yeah, man, it was, it blew my mind. It was wow. so cool. So those early jams were, yeah, they were in people's houses. A lot of, actually, a lot of it was based in Rogers Park because a lot of people lived up there at the time. So there was a long stretch where a couple of newer members who were in Loyola, uh, going to Loyola at the time, had a house on Pratt Street. <laughs> and uh, we called their house the Pratt Frat. And we were there pretty much every weekend. It's a good YouTube video. Oh, yeah. There's probably a couple. Um, That house, oh, man, this is a whole other podcast interview (laughs) to get into that house. But that was our our playground, and Uh, it got just destroyed. It was every weekend we just obliterated that house. And the neighbor eventually wrote a letter to the alderman about screeching barn music. I am doing I'm doing air quotes. You'll have to put that on the in the notes. Yeah, screeching barn music. She I, God bless her for putting up with it for that long, but that's what the early jams were like and now they are still rowdy but we've moved it luckily into a bar where people can just hang and it's more of a home base that's you know um, a little more accessible to the public because uh, you know when you're in those houses and apartments it's if you're not invited you're never gonna find this this gold mine so where where do you guys what bar Right now, in. we have uh, started up again at a bar <laughs> called Innertown Pub, which is in Wicker Park, um, and we're there every other Tuesday, but um, there's also one every month at Redline Tap. Is that the last Tuesday of the month? Fourth Tuesday. Last, fourth, fourth Tuesday, Tuesday yeah. that's at Redline Tap. You know, for a little while, we were going to the Gullway Arms, a place uh, where we often would, you know, sit in on the session and do concerts, so it's moved around a bit. Um, and we've always got this kind of fantasy of having just as regular uh, square dances going on, but you know, space is always a problem. So you just you take what you can get. Wow. The boatyard. We did a couple of things at the boat. We used to do things at my studio in in West Town. Um, it's very uh, nomadic. Um, I think that's part of the charm of this collective. It's like if you're in the if you're in the the call list, if you're on the email list, like you're in. You know where the action is every weekend. It's so fun. There is no email list. I don't know. It's a, fa- it's a, it's a Facebook group. It's a Facebook group. Something he wasn't supposed to. It's a contact list. How about? Yeah. How did I end up for being open and? Still an inner we have a circle, Facebook. apparently. We have a Facebook. It's a Facebook now. Times have evolved since the beginning. <laughs> How about uh, do another tune? Feel free to talk a little bit about it if it's, if it's talkable. Would you like to do Bangum? Sure. I'll sing Bangum in the Boar. They are a wild boar in these woods. Diddle-o, dee, diddle-o, dee. They are a wild boar in these woods, diddle dee They are a wild boar in these woods. They'll eat your meat and suck your blood. Come away, quaddle down, Quanzee ho. 
So Bangham made him a wooden gun, diddle-o-dee, diddle-o-dee. So Bangham made him a wooden gun, diddle-o-dee. So Bangham made him a wooden gun to shoot that wild boar as he run. Come away, quaddle down, Quanzio. And Bangham got him a butcher knife, diddle-o-dee, diddle-o-dee. And Bangham got him a butcher knife, diddle-o-dee. And Bangham got him a butcher knife to cut and take that wild boar's life. Come away, quaddle down, Quanzio. He tracked that wild boar to his den, diddle-o-dee, diddle-o-dee. He tracked that wild boar to his den, diddle-o-dee. He tracked that wild boar to his den, and there lay the bones of a thousand men. Come away, quaddle down, Quanzio. He raised his horn up to his mouth, diddle-o-dee, diddle-o-dee. He raised his horn up to his mouth, diddle-o-dee. He raised his horn up to his mouth. First he blowed it east, then west, then south. Come away, quaddle down, Quanzio. That wild boar came with such a dash, diddle-o-dee, diddle-o-dee. That wild boar came with such a dash, diddle-o-dee. That wild boar came with such a dash, it split the hickory oak and ash. Come away, quaddle down, Quanzio. So Bangham raised his wooden gun, diddle-o-dee, diddle-o-dee. So Bangham raised his wooden gun, diddle-o-dee. So Bangham raised his wooden gun and shot that wild boar as he run. Come away, quaddle down, Quanzio. And Bangham raised his butcher knife, diddle-o-dee, diddle-o-dee. And Bangham raised his butcher knife, diddle-o-dee. And Bangham raised his butcher knife and cut and took the wild boar's life. Come away, quaddle down, Quanzio. That's one I learned from Michael and Carrie Klein, and they prefaced it by saying, you can use this to frighten small children. <laughs> uh, who, who, who are they, Michael and Carrie Klein? How, how did uh, you come across them? And there's some wonderful uh, ballad singers and folk musicians who, are, uh, who live in West Virginia. And um, I remember coming to Chicago and getting invited to my first old Lazarus Harp event and singing that song. And and being able to sing that with people and having them be excited about that ballad and thinking, oh, I found my people. <laughs> How did you get into Appalachian music? So that was um, really started with Sheila Kay at the, uh, at the National Storytelling Festival. And that was something that my family went to. And I heard 
my first ballad I ever learned when I was a kid was about a farmer and the devil. And he, <laughs> he, uh, he has a troublesome wife, and so the devil takes his wife, and, and it's this whole not appropriate for 11-year-olds ballad. But I learned the whole thing, and I was just singing and singing it. Um, and I've loved that style of music and that style of singing ever since. And it's been really wonderful to find in Chicago people that share that and that can sing those songs and, and raise their voices, and it's really wonderful. Were your uh, parents into it too, or was it kind of a yeah? So they uh, they were definitely into the whole folk music scene as well. Um, you know, the I'm from Michigan, so the Wheatland Traditional Music Festival was always a part of my childhood and growing up, and um, and it's been fun to find that style of music and and that community here too. How about how about you guys, Dan and Marave? I always like asking kind of where people come from, how they got into this sort of music. Um, my family's very musical. My parents are <laughs> here tonight. Um, I played a lot of different types of music with my family from like show tunes and standards around the piano after dinner with my, uh, grandparents and parents to, uh, singing sea shanties at the Corinthian Yacht Club, <laughs> um, when there used to be a heritage boat club over there. My parents were both part of, uh, the shanty singing group there, so I would be among them, listening and absorbing the tunes and the songs. Um, really, songs. I wasn't exposed to as many fiddle tunes until I met old Lazarus Harp folks. But, um, yeah, so I just music was uh, always been a part of my life. Yeah. How about you, Dan? Uh, my, no, there was no, uh, nothing going on in my house. It was uh, me and my brother listening to a lot of uh, alternative rock. I don't know what mom and dad listened to. There was no... Uh, no folk music anywhere, actually. Um, I think I if, uh, I usually ask people that question, too. I'm always curious. A lot of people seem to get into it through uh, Hank Williams and Johnny Cash. My entry was um, Bob Dylan and the Revivalist uh, singers. Um, hated the sound of a banjo until a couple years ago. Never really knew any fiddle tunes, but was always into uh, Irish songs. So I found a bunch of, that would be where I started getting um, more traditional with it. For a long time, it was uh, kind of 60s uh, guitar slinger or songwriter fellas. And um, what, do you, what do you guys find you like learn most from each other when you come together and play? Well, I would say we all, the three of us, like, are big ballad singers amongst the group, so I'd say we, we trade a lot of ballads. Um, also fiddle tunes. I mean, I'd say with this group, ballads are, are big, and Dan Dan's specialty is definitely Irish. Um, I do a lot of sort of sad songs about death. <laughs> That's yeah, there probably is, my there is the death. specialty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Emily also likes death. We have that in common. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> a lot of fans of death in the house. I well, see. What, what do you think it is with the traditional songs? I mean, you turn, you turn on pop radio, you're not going to hear that much about death. What, <laughs> what, 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 what is it about the older songs that you think that was more prominently discussed? Oh, wow. What a question. Good question. Just well, big I mean, question, really, what are you yeah. going to sing about, like lambs and pumpkins? I mean, <laughs> it's like mortality and love and all these great themes. It's just, you know, that's that's what's a driving force behind all these ballads, and that's kind of great. I mean, to just gather a group of people together and sing about something 
heavy. <laughs> is that is that part of the appeal for you? I mean, that it that the songs kind of go to heavier places. They're very intense. The music is very intense, and I think that's what catches people um, who have never heard it before when they hear it for the first time. Not necessarily intense in its um, uh, that it's heavy or sorrowful or whatever. Um, it's just very uh, it's very old and it's very preserved, um, and it just transports you when you hear it. Um, but even the language, it's very specific. It's not this kind of modern-day pandering lyric, you know, vague lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very specific. And, uh, yeah, the specific details make a big difference. Yeah, details, big difference, and, you know, this, I, you can't really overlook the fact that history has something to do with refining down these lines over time. I mean, I'm sure when they were first written, they didn't sound like that, but generation after generation, they kind of get sanded down to um, where they are now, and they'll, you know, change context and change words here and there. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, I think it's very intense music, even if it's not about death. I mean, even even the love songs or what have you, it's very pointed language, and that sticks out because you don't hear that a lot. So it's very, um, it's oddly refreshing to hear something like that, and it's different. Um, I have a couple that are coming to mind right now yeah, that we could do. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, uh-huh. Dan, do you want to sing probably the first song we ever sung together? <laughs> Which was one of the first songs my parents would sing, Pleasant, and, Del- Pleasant and Delightful. Oh, Pleasant and Delightful. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. <clears throat> <laughs> it was pleasant and delightful on that midsummer's day When the green fields and the meadows, they were buried in hay And the blackbirds and the thrushes Sang in every green tree, and the larks they sang melodious at the dawning of the day. And the larks they sang melodious, and the larks they sang melodious, and the larks they sang melodious at the dawning of the day. Well, a sailor, who is true love, said I must be on my way. For her topsails, they are hoisted, and the anchor's away. Our great ship, she lies awaiting for the next flowing tide. And if ever I return again, I will make you my bride. And if ever I return again, and if ever I return again, and if ever I return again, I will make you my bride. Then the ring from off her finger she instantly drew, saying, take this dearest William, and my heart will go too. And as he embraced her, tears from her eyes fell, saying, may I go along with you? Oh, no, me love, farewell. 
with you, saying, May I go along with you, saying, May I go along with you. Oh, no, me love, farewell. We should jump to a tune or that again uncle charlie barnett lowe's tune and how did how did you guys come across that one oh i learned it from dan dan learned it from evan <laughs> um do you know where evan learned it dan uh, no. i mean there's a he's great he's a real tune yeah digger yeah. he'll he'll dig these things out so i don't know where he gets a lot of it <laughs> archives mostly uh-huh yeah <laughs> We're getting requests. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> um, I was thinking while I was l- listening to the, the, the first ballad, uh, which was what, what? What's that ballad? Uh? Pleasant and Delightful. Yeah. yeah. Any any info on that one? Or? Yeah. Um, it's the recording, I think, that my parents learned it from <laughs> is uh, Cliff Haslam. Uh, and uh, what's the other guy? Is it John Millar? Dan, do you remember? Oh, I don't know. I don't uh, know. It's from a great album of colonial and revolutionary war 
uh, sea shanties mm-hmm. um, that was recorded at Mystic Seaport in I think like 1973. Um, he's a one of my favorite uh, singers, but I definitely learned it from my parents <laughs> and their shanty singing group. Uh, I remember like listening to it when I was little and they were, they were running it. But yeah, it's a, I think it's a British um, mm-hmm. sea shanty. When, when I was listening to it, I was thinking about, you know, there's times when there's certain different ways you could pronounce certain words, certain ways things come. And I was, how, how do you make the decision of say, pronunciation when you're dealing with music that probably exists in various ways and it's not, you know, it's not Chicago pronunciation or something like that. How do you settle on Sometimes you can't things? decide because they will rhyme the s- lyrics within the dialect mm-hmm. that it was written. So there mm-hmm. are times where you don't have a choice. You okay. have to pronounce it one way so that it'll rhyme right. with the couplet. Um, other than that, it's the singer's choice. I mean, I'll sometimes put on accents depending on where it comes from. Um, other people will kind of always do it in their regional uh, accent. Eh, singer's choice, really. Mm-hmm. And and do you find like do you find yourself developing an accent that you sing with? That's that's yours. I can't remember not doing it myself. Oh well, no, that's mine specifically. I no, mean, not so you much. Know, do you switch from genres, or do I you have usually a do it on yes. genre? I I uh-huh. like to just punch up the uh, the uh, Anglo um, kind of vibe of a song by putting on or maybe rolling some R's here and there. Right. I don't like want to do make it a shtick or anything. So uh-huh. I, I try and I don't think I overdo it. Um, <laughs> but I like to, I like to, I think it brings some drama to the mm-hmm. performance. So I don't really care. I, I like it. How about, how about you, Emily? Yeah, I think it depends a lot on who you learn it from. Uh-huh. So like if you learn a ballad from a North Carolina singer, they're going to have a lot more of these beautiful ornamentations usually yeah. um, that happen. Um, but it, for me, it depends a lot on who I learn it from and the style in which they sing it and the voice in which they sing it because it's it's really about remembering that moment that they taught it to me and kind of telling that story again, you know? So for you, is it about trying to match how... How it was presented to you at first, or will you? Change I think it it's based like on like Dan was saying. It's like yeah. some combination of of remembering that sound of the uh-huh. person that that taught it to you, right? Um, or the recording that taught it to you, and then also finding an honest voice and uh-huh. opening up and and letting that come forward as well, mm-hmm. um, and just letting it feel good and feel honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I w- I would agree with yeah totally yeah. what they said. I tend not to put on much of an accent but then like Dan said there's definitely moments where you have to kind of make things rhyme um and if if I've learned something that's even if it's often an American ballad if I've learned it from like some British singers Mm -hmm. that'll definitely change the color of uh you know the phrasing and the style and even the harmonies um that are that are used yeah so that's the thing about this music is it's very couched in the people that you Mm -hmm. learn it from the specific people whether it's a recording or in person yeah. When um when I interviewed Matt Brown, uh he was talking about one of the things that he finds especially important is to go in and to try to, you know, get to know the communities which uh this music comes from. Uh how how important is that to you guys? Do you, do, do are there any people in the collective that kind of are just which is just see it as the music that they're playing and that's it or or is there always kind of a urge to be look back and to see where it comes from what 
I personally have no urge to do the research. Okay. I don't care at all about uh, where they come from. Right. I only care about what they do for for me. I that's the only thing I care about. Uh huh. When we were singing at Mystic Seaport this summer and I stood up there belting, I didn't know anything about any of the songs. Uh And everybody out there probably in the audience knew something about it, but I just don't I'm not. I'm. I don't care. It's uh-huh. boring to me. I mean, I like the stories. Every once in a while, I hear a cool story about what something means or where it came from, and I think, oh, that's neat. I'll retain right. it. I'm not going out of my way to learn dates and stuff like that. I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> I think Dan discounts how much he does know about things, but it's true that he's not like sitting, you know, right. at night like looking at the not books. That is an academic sort of tradition. <laughs> in that, in I, I, you know, work in the resource center yeah. and deal in the archives and that kind of is my nerdery. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and I would say some of but our talk friends... Talk a little bit about the, the archive, the Old Town School archive where you're at. Uh, sure, yeah, the resource center at the Old Town yeah. School uh, where I work uh, part-time is a very neat place. Uh, it's been around since the late 80s um, and it's latest iteration uh is well it, they've always had recordings that they've been archiving and photos and uh books and records but lately i've uh, had the opportunity to produce a podcast that highlights the the audio you know holdings that they have there which has been really exciting for me um and i do get into <laughs> a lot of research with that it's, it's a really good podcast how could people oh, come you. across it how could they find it yeah, they can find it. It's called The Archives Podcast. Um, you can search for the Old Town School Folk Music on iTunes and find it very easily because there's a few other things called The Archives Podcast, mm-hmm. wouldn't you know? But um, it's on SoundCloud if you want to stream <laughs> it or iTunes um, as well. Yeah. Yeah, we've interviewed a lot of the same people yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> for our podcast. We have similar overlapping interests. Yes. <laughs> well, the other thing I was going to say to piggyback on your question is some of our friends are like source material, mm-hmm. you know, like our friend Evan, we've mentioned a few times. He's from uh, like Iron River, Michigan, which is a region that's sort of a hotbed of like a certain style of traditional um, singing in mm-hmm. particular. And we've learned some stuff from him. We definitely and owe him a credit. To give another things. example of that too, yeah. that Bang Him in the Boar song. Uh-huh. Michael and Carrie recorded that with a third vocalist singing a harmony part. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that third vocalist was Bill Kimmons, who's the father of another folk Lazarus Heart Folk Collective member. So I got to sing that song with him uh-huh. a while ago, um, and that was a really special experience too. So I think the the collective yeah. connects you to a lot of people uh-huh. who are very rooted in, in the yeah. tradition, and, mm-hmm. and that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Should we do it? Let's do a couple more songs. Yeah, let's do a couple more songs. Uh, let's see. What do we got left? Tunes. Another tune. What about a little bit of uh, Highland Laddie? Sure. Definitely learned this one from other OLH members, though I did know the um, I didn't know the this particular tune, but it sounded a whole lot like a sea shanty I had learned, and so we put them together. <laughs>
Before the show, we were talking about how you know there's different traditions, and I we're just I felt like we connected with it a little bit here. There's the, you know, I, I don't know if you use the word stuffy, but sort of the more formal traditions of folk traditional playing, and then sort of the rowdier crowd. And I think you were suggesting you guys were on the the rowdier. Yes, end. we are on <laughs> the rowdier end. In fact, I would say uh, that's a good place to say that the collective Old Lazarus Harp is a very wide spectrum of uh, skill levels, too. Mm -hmm. So we certainly haven't uh, discriminated against uh, beginners or pros. We've mm -hmm. seen both. Um, so that's, it's, that is actually one of the very, um, probably one of the most important pillars. You wouldn't expect it to be, but um, that's what kind of keeps the whole thing communal. There was a time when early in the collective, uh, some people wanted to keep it more slick and, you know, very neat and tidy for shows so that we looked really good. Um, I was always in more of the, let's just open it up, like whatever, let's just have a good time kind of thing. So uh, I would say that the collective as a whole is definitely on the more informal side of things. Um, just... I think that's the common philosophy amongst the people that are in it. Mm -hmm. That it's not based on trying to set up some perfect, well-rehearsed thing. That it's, it's more... Yeah, I, I would even go as far as to say I have kind of tried to keep rehearsal 
at a minimum. Uh-huh, right. We don't want to be too rehearsed. Right. <laughs> There's something very un old Lazarus Harp about being perfect about right, it. Right. Like we're not uh-huh. we're not that. I think what we we know what we do and that's we belt it loud and we show a f- that we're having fun and here's here's my problem with the folk music that's out there now is that uh I grew up and a lot of these people that don't play it they they only see the nerdy stuff and that's all I ever saw too mm-hmm. it's so boring mm-hmm. and it's so just uninteresting until you see a bunch of ragamuffin kids in a bar uh-huh. just throwing down every week that's when it becomes artistic right because it's it's intense and it's um it's passion and it's really the opposite of folk music i had seen up until literally probably four five years ago mm-hmm. everything else was just boring everybody was doing real quiet and real mm-hmm. reverent and so this is showing people that you can respect it and you can keep it alive, but you don't have to be precious with it. Right. You can, be, you can slam on your fiddle, you can slam on your guitar, and you can belt at the top of your lungs. What was the, the rowdiest uh, old oh, Lazarus gathering? I know the rowdiest. <laughs> and it's Cabbage Day uh, 20, 2016. Was that last year? 2015. 2015. Um, <laughs> Cabbage Day uh, started at the Pratt Frat, the house I had mentioned, as a completely made-up holiday. I think it was just an excuse to have a party. Actually, what I think it is is a couple of guys just had a couple extra cabbages. <laughs> and so they threw these cabbages on the spikes on their fence in front of the house. And so they invented like this December. holiday called Cabbage Day. You never know when it is, but two years ago was the nuttiest party <laughs> I'd ever seen, and it was tunes, <laughs> and it was square dancing in this basement, and there's cabbage just everywhere, we and it was destroyed every head of yeah, it was destructive, man. Sight. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Can I add that this year at Cabbage there were like cabbages lined up against the wall with blinking eyes projected on them from a projector? It's weird. It it's a it's a weird day. <laughs> <laughs> and then you guys have is a uh, Maypole Fest coming up. Oh, yeah, later the on. Maypole Folk Festival. Folk Festival. Yeah. What's that, what's that Year all about? Year two. Yeah, yeah. We um, that was probably the first festival Dan and I collaborated on um, with like a number of other folks in the bluegrass scene and in Old Lazarus Harp, um, John Huber and uh, Heather Maliak and Sarah Lajinski and Rob Jensen um, and Molly as well. Um, and yeah, that's it's, it went really well last year, and we're doing it again this year, which is really exciting. Um, and we've also got a couple other sort of big events on the docket. Dan and I, uh, with some other folks as well, um, are planning uh, a bit more of a dance-oriented uh, event, I'd say, and maybe more workshop and dance-oriented um, for the fall uh, called Midwest Sing and Stomp. Um, but Maple Folk Festival has a date it's coming up on april 29th at the empty bottle um, that's the second year at the empty bottle. yeah second maypole, year at the empty bottle maypole is a um an interesting benchmark for the old lazarus harp collective which we're discussing today in that um it not only set a new height for the kind of hype uh events that we that we were aiming for mm-hmm. and luckily succeeded in this last year we had a huge crowd for that but it was also a 
a very clear um, strategy move to bring more people in. Mm-hmm. I mean, our old Lazarus Harp as a group um, sort of became very defined as the kids that just show up every week to the jam. But Maypole was kind of like, why don't we team our thing up with other scenes? Mm-hmm. So it was a very specific um, move to reach out to our friends in the bluegrass scene who don't really um, intersect with what we do so much. Mm-hmm. And also with other scenes, uh, there's you know some Irish players that, that are out there too. And dancers too. So Maypole was an interesting benchmark to expand even further what we were already doing, which was just trying to get the best the best of the best of of folk players and exciting folk music what, in Chicago. What's the main criteria? Is it energy for you? What the, no, like, what it's is, it's um, Maypole specifically is about um, talent first, but also it's kind of a, a pro, we have to approach it as a program because us as produce show producers want to have a nice uh, range of music presented. So um, one of the criteria is that it's not all the same. So it's not all country or honky-tonk. It's not all old time. Mm. So as far as criteria, I mean, it's, it's vague. It's kind of it's a little more intuitive as okay. to who makes the cut, but that's actually one of the criteria is that not all of them are the same. You so, have like, relationships with pretty much everyone yeah. that we reach out to. So it's like, oh, we have a relationship with someone from the Son Harocho scene. Like, let's reach out to their band. Uh, which we've heard this is really good, mm-hmm. or you know, let's get an Irish uh, band in here, let's get a uh, Cajun band in here. Um, so it's yeah, there are people Variety we have personal big... connections to yeah. as well, um, but that we think represent some of the finest traditional music going on in the city right now. Yeah. Cool. Let's get uh, a few more tunes. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. Oh uh, sure.
great. Um, I love watching the stomping. How, how important is stomping the old Lazarus harp? Stomping is key. When you stomping have all these people at different levels of playing, you gotta at least keep them in time. Okay. Well, not these people, so but like at a out, jam. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, everybody's, everybody's sort of paying attention uh -huh. in their own way. But yes, the stomping is actually the, the big, um, that is what clicks us all together. Like, it's, it's actually Everybody important. can stomp, right? Like, yeah, they can all yeah. stop. I mean, it's a tool. It, uh -huh. It's a tool that we need. Like, right. if we don't have it, it's uh, it gets off time pretty quick. You know. How many How many people play at once? Like, what's the largest um, amount of old Lazarus harp playing together at one time? Let's see. I would ballpark it at like twenty people. Okay. Yeah. So if you can imagine twenty people stomping and playing and hooting and hollering, that's especially helps when you're playing fiddle tunes because like fiddles playing at different ends of the room like mm -hmm. it's hard to like yeah, hear man. each other really well so you really like a fiddle player really wants someone to be boom chucking really clearly and uh -huh. to be stomping yeah serves a serves a purpose <laughs> as well as gets you really into it <laughs> what uh what do you guys what are the goals i mean i i i'm impressed by the fact that there is seems to be a, a whether it's thought out or not, there's definitely a philosophy. I don't know how much you know comes as as you go. It sounds like a little bit of both. There's certain things you you set up as what you kind of believe and where you you know watch things go. Where do you want old Lazarus Harp to go? Let's say let's say in five years, where's old Lazarus Harp? In five years, I would just hope that um, well, it's 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 a dangerous game to get um, more too popular um and to try and start keeping everyone happy right um because then you're trying to please the the purists who want to hear it one way and you're trying to attract the frat boys who aren't going to be interested in that so i only have the simple hope that it gets bigger and raises awareness and grabs more members but that it what more importantly that it just does not lose a community attitude and a fresh rock and roll angle on the music. Mm -hmm. But that's my personal. So th that's actually a very modest. You know, that's not that's not something right. that. You know, people come and go out of town. So five years in Chicago, it's a totally different. You never know mm -hmm. who's even still here. But that would be my. That's my wish uh -huh. in five years. How about how about you guys? Any. I hope we're still singing and stomping. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely agree with Dan that like what makes it what it is and why it's special is that it exists for us and for the community and for whoever wants to be part of that as well, but it's not really trying to please anyone else right. in particular. Yeah, and I would just hope that more one thing that you know, I do love about going to the East Coast um is that people from all over the country and world flock there. Like, it'd be mm -hmm. kind of nice if we could get some more of those people to, like, come here and to know that, you know, Old Lazarus Harp is playing a jam at the Innertown Pub on every other Tuesday, you know, and come there. So it's really, again, modest. It's just, mm -hmm. like, I hope it remains uh, kind of, like, centered around the heart of what, what it is now, but it's that we have more of, of that. I think we're all a little superstitious about it because it's such a special thing and it's so precious mm -hmm. and it's it's so new and we can all sort of feel how fragile it is. Like if one person leaves town, 
the whole ecosystem uh, kind of changes. So it's actually, it almost feels greedy to, to mm-hmm. think five years ahead and, and wish something about it. I think we're all sort of feeling that, even if it's not real overt. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I would add is that I hope that uh, we as traditional musicians can help bring the relevancy of this music into the time that we're living in now and that that's something that we could do more maybe that there's a lot of people who might not have been exposed to this or think that it matters very much and that's on us a little bit for not um you know sharing it as much in some ways but what what is the relevancy of you know say sea shanties and old ballads about boars like what 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 is it or those are other things like what is it that's relevant in you know yeah, I think we probably Wait, all have an is? answer to that one. Yeah. But um, my answer would be why I'm attracted to this type of music is that it's about, you know, folk. It's about people doing their their stuff that they do in their daily lives. And that is precious in the same way that, like, what we do together is precious. And it's about the way people worked, you know, 150, 300 years ago. And it's not that different, the things that we're facing and the challenges that we face and the prejudices that we're dealing with now. Is there something um, you, you think they saw more honestly back then that, that I just think that these things it? and these themes have persisted because they remain um, from that time until now. Like, for instance, like a song like the Gypsy Laddie. Gypsy isn't a term that I would use very frequently today, but um, it's an interesting song that's been owned by gypsy communities to talk about themselves you know over time it's been used to marginalize people um and we're dealing with those issues now that's a term that came about because uh in scotland gypsies were uh expelled and being told to leave the country and that's pretty relevant now Mm -hmm. so i think to mareva's point it's not about um, looking back to a time when people saw things clear, it's feeling connected to all those people experiencing the world, experiencing joy, experiencing sorrow, um, experiencing just the feeling of coming together, sitting in a circle, playing music, stomping your feet. Um, it makes you feel uh, tapped into that, and that's a really special feeling. Dan, any words? Or- is we're good. Wrap, are we closing up? No, no. I'm just saying. I was dealing. Oh, any thoughts? Where or, we were in the thing? Uh, no, no. We're still going. Um, <laughs> any thoughts about relevancy of the music? I uh, I really only care about the the sound of the music. Right. Right. Um, I just like the songs that sound old. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what caught me in the first place. Is that I? This is like pirate music and Lord of the Rings music. I didn't think it was even still around. So <laughs> the themes, yeah, they're. I mean, it gets very open to interpretation. I mean, one of the vaguest questions ever is what even is folk music? And some people will start saying like, oh, it's the music of the people. And that's where I jump off board. I'm like, that's that's what music isn't music of the people. So talking about its relevancy, I mean, I have my own opinions about it. I won't I don't even know if I'll get into that now, but I would say that, uh, yeah, it'll it'll help unite some people in this time and that's that's great i think that's positive so that's mm-hmm. all uh, that's all i really care about what well, what would you say if someone's like you know gonna go to see some house music or something or see you what would, is there is there something oh, you, have, okay. you have to offer to someone who's not tuned into this already this is a lesson i've learned in the last 
12 months right. is that if you're not inclined to like this music, it's, it's a waste of our happen. time to even try and win you over. Did you he, either, I don't know what it is. Uh, we see people come in and out of the Innertown pub. We see people come in and out of these bars. And to us, this is the gem. This is uh, like, how could you not like it? And I still see people that come in and say, eh, you know, whatever, and they just leave. It's like, okay, I guess that's, maybe, maybe that was me when I was 17 or 16. I don't know. Um, you know, it's just, it's not for everybody. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really not. And then every once in a while, say at Intertown or Redline Tap, you'll get somebody who's never heard music like what old Lazarus Harp is doing. And they'll just really dig it. And they'll, they, you know, they'll come up afterward and say, what was that? I've never heard something like that before. And they'll talk to you about it. Um, and that's really cool. I mean, uh, moving to Chicago, I learned about house music for the first time and the history of house music here in Chicago um, and kind of some of the stories with that. So um, it's great to, to have a chance to share this with some people. And Dan's totally right. Some people are going to be like, oop, see ya, when they know we're in the bar. But every once in a while, you get somebody who they have that moment where they're like, wow. You know. And I would never couch us against house music, Yeah. first of all. Like, we all like a lot of different types right. of music. Like, Dan and I have, like, a grunge band together, and we all, yeah. Courtney. So, you know, I would never, like, ask someone to, mm-hmm. you know, give up their whatever is their thing that matters to them and, like, see one of our shows unless they really had something that grabbed them and, you know, wanted Here's to Here's what you do. Shows. You go to the OLH show, and yeah. then you go dance to some house music yeah, after we Yeah, there you out. go. Right. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Let's do maybe uh, one or more tunes. We could wrap it up. Whatever you guys feel like closing out with. So we'll have the um, the uh, you could go to live at the Grafton to listen to this and all our other episodes, and uh, we'll be on WLUW eventually. If you go to the Facebook page, live at the Grafton, you could stay tuned, and we're part of. Uh, Folk Tuesdays at the Grafton, which you could also check out on Facebook, which features Mark Dvorak and the uh, Pick and Bubs. Next uh, month, we're going to have Andy Cohen, who's a really great um, blues musician and um, who's coming actually from Memphis. So it'll be our first touring uh, performer. And then uh, it'll be Mike Alberts. We'll have a couple shows. And then Mark Dvorak will be our guest in the summer. So check us out on Facebook, Live at the Grafton, to learn more. And... Uh, thanks a lot, old Lazarus Harp. It's been a pleasure talking with you guys. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Thank you very much. Um, since this is, ed- we're, we'll give you three, and you can just edit down whatever you need. We've got, three's we- perfect. Three's good. <laughs> All right. Well, it's only three because I just remembered that there is a song about old Lazarus Harp. He just remembered a song he wrote. I had, I totally forgot about it. Yeah, this is. It has to go in this podcast. By the name of Dan MacDonald, they christened my head early. And by the name of Shanty Dan, my friends know me well. (laughs) At the call for a shanty, I am said to have plenty. At the verse recitation, I'm known for to excel. Well, when I was a young man of five years and twenty, I stepped aboard a railroad, Empire Builder was its name. 
and it brought me to the belly of the town you all know welly, where I would meet on old Pratt Street some rogues of the same. <coughs> now I sing along with Evie, Chris Kimmins and Marevi, with Jimbo and with Jeffy and all our jolly crew. Our work is seldom steady and our purses seldom heavy, but a shantying together gives us great delight to do. In the city of Chicago, there is a band of heathens that carol free and merry as drunk as drunk can be. A wild pack of chickens are roosting like the dickens, and Shanty Dan, this shanty man among them you will see. Right, Morningstar? Bright morning stars are arising. Bright
Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Lazarus Hart. How about a big hand for them? Thanks to Gunner for doing our yeah. wonderful sounds.